being here tonight. I am glad you're here with us. And uh, I want to let you know, last week we started a new series on the church. And uh, I, I saw a beautiful thing happen this week and throughout this week and culminating this morning with our rummage sale on the church. And you saw the church come together. You saw the people come together. Uh, we made uh, $1,345 minus all the change. And if we ever sell that record player back there. So yeah, I mean, that's, that's pretty cool. That's, that's, that's exciting. Yeah, if you're looking for an uh, Electra Fisher model uh, with tubes and all that stuff, it's back there for you. So, uh, but, uh, you know, it, it, was a, it was an exciting morning to watch everybody come together. I came here, um, and it's funny because one of the guys was like, oh, the pastor always has to show up to this stuff, and this morning I didn't. I just got to, and I got to be a part of it, helping out. And, uh, you know, Joe was in lead of it all, and it's going to go towards our homeless ministry. It's going to go towards our missions ministry, and it's just exciting to see that and exciting to see it all come together. And, you know, last week we did our kickoff weekend. And as we did our kickoff week, and we talked about being passionate. We talked about being passionate for, the, for all different sorts of things. We said, when we're passionate, it really breaks down to, to three, um, three steps to lead to that passion. The first thing we see is imagination. You imagine the world being a better place. And you have uh, this idea that that imagination will then lead to belief. That you believe what you imagine can come true. And when you believe that what you imagine can come true, you begin to invest in that. You invest your time, you invest your effort, you invest your energy, you invest your money into it. That is what we do when we have passion behind something. You can think about that in any area of our lives that we have passion. That that's what we do, whether it be a sports team or be a music band or, or be a church. And that's what we talked about last week is having passion for the church. And these areas that we're passionate for, and we talked about why we're passionate for the church, why we should be passionate for the church. And the reason is because Christ first was passionate about the church, and because he was passionate about the church and still is passionate about the church as his body and as his bride, so should we. That's how we should respond. We discussed as we launched into, into this, I, I wanted to talk about that last weekend in order to get ready to talk about this weekend. Because this weekend, we're going to discuss a question that is asked thousands and thousands and thousands of times every weekend. It was probably asked many, many times, even today, before coming here right now, is already being asked about tomorrow. And that is this very question right here. Why do I have to go to church? Why do I have to go to church? Any kids in here say that on the way here? It's okay to be honest. I said it too, okay? So it's all right. Uh, why do I have to go to church? And that is a question that, that we see often, and I've asked it a thousand times in my lifetime. You've probably asked it a time or two in your lifetime. And, and I want to answer that question today. And I want to answer it actually with a couple of answers. And the first one may make some people really excited and may make other people not so excited. As a matter of fact, some of you kids, you might even give a little elbow to your parents. Because the answer to the first part of this question, why do I have to go to church? The answer is, you don't have to go to church. And everybody just went, oh. And all the kids went, praise Jesus. But you can't do it out loud because mom might say something. So what you have to understand is this. You don't have to go to church. You don't have to, and if you look up here, you'll see I put have to in the quotation marks. 
You don't have to go to church. As we look at church, there's this idea that somewhere along the line, it probably happened over the last 2,000 years, that you had to go to church in order to be a good Christian. And that you had to go to church in order to fulfill some sort of spiritual thing between you and God, that God would be mad at you if you didn't go to church. And that got passed down from generation to generation. And when that question came out that, why do I have to go to church? The only answer a parent really had to go with it all was, because I said so. And when we look at that, that's not good enough. And we can't just force people to want to go to church. And and that has transformed even in its time to now, as long as I go to church, then I'm a Christian. Because it started to kind of twist and morph in these ways. And, you know, to take from the the young prophet, Justin Bieber, um, he says, going to church makes you a Christian as much as going to Taco Bell makes you a taco. And we've, we've lost it in our minds that he's right. We somehow think as long as I don the doors, that's why I have to go to church because that's what God's going to see. He's got some big spiritual record up there. He's got my Sunday school chart, and I want to make sure I have a star on every weekend that I can possibly go to. And that begins to drive some people actually away as they become 18-year-olds and they say, I finally can live my own life. I finally can make my own decision. I don't have to go to church. Well, let me tell you something as we look at this, and we see this idea of of why we think we have to go to church, and why somehow or another that ties into our salvation. I want to point this very fact out to you right here, and this is something we all need to understand. Salvation is found in Christ, not in our church attendance. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life, as long as they go to church, right? No. But somehow we've tagged that onto there. As a matter of fact, if you look at 1 John 5, 12, it says, He who has a son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. Those who believe in Christ, who have accepted him, and the sacrifice that he laid down his life for us so that I could have a relationship with his Father, with him, that is the reason why we are saved. It is not based on our lack of church attendance or our amazing amount of church attendance. And as I say that out loud, and you're thinking to yourself, all right, I'm going to go call my mom right now and tell her, Pastor Matt said, I don't have to go to church, so I'm not going to go to church. I do want to give you something different, though, a second answer to that question. While you don't have to go to church, I truly believe that church attendance is very important. I truly believe that not just church attendance is very important, and maybe we might even just cross out the word attendance, but church participation is important. And I believe that in my heart, and that's the reason why last week I was able to say, I love the church. Not just because Jesus first loved the church, but I love the institution of the local church. Yes, it has its flaws. Yes, it has its its marks on it, and we look throughout history and see the negative things that it's done. But once again, like I said last week, we all have a pet that has made some sort of negative thing, but we still love it the same way we can love the church, even if there's something negative in it. Unfortunately, I know a lot of people who no longer go to church. Maybe you do too. I know Christian leaders, not pastors, but Christian leaders who don't go to church on a regular basis. And many of the blogs that I've read, many of the people that I've talked to and listened to, their reason for not going to church is simple. They say, it's not my style. It's not the way that I learn. And when I hear them say that, I completely agree with them. 
And the fact that the reason why you're not going to church for that reason is because it's not the worship style that I like. It's not the style that I normally sit and do on. I don't go on a Sunday morning. I don't go on a Saturday night. I like to do things my own way. I mean, really, when you look at it, whatever style they're talking about or whatever learning they're talking about, we have amazing technology right now. I mean, just stop and think about how much better of a pastor you could be listening to right now if you just put your earbuds in and found one on, on iTunes. I can find a lot better than me. And, and there's many times that I do. I go and I listen to that. But when we look at that from the grand scheme of things, is that what church is all about? I can go find worship music that fits exactly what I want. And the mood that I'm in for that day, and the way I want my heart to be inspired, and I want to feel emotionally uplifted, I can go find that. If I can't find it on my own shuffle list, it's going to be on YouTube somewhere, and I can put a playlist together. So I have that worship experience there. I have the worship experience of hearing the message that I need to. I can not have to take my kids into there. I can find something churchy on Netflix to sit them down in front of. I don't have to change my clothes. I don't have to do anything. I can do that anywhere I want too. I don't have to go to a building. I can go sit on the beach. I can go play at the golf course. I can do any of those things so I can take all of that with me. So the question is, why do I have to go to church? Why should I be a part of all that? Why is church attendance or church participation important? And the reason why I think it is is because even with all of those points that I can throw out to you, and you know what? I agree with those things. Those things are great to do during the week. When we come together, as a corporate body, something happens. And that's why it's so important to be a part of the local church. That's why it's so important to be able to communicate with each other. See, church is more than a message. It's more than your learning. It's more than the worship. It's more than the music. It's more than the coffee. It's more than the building. Definitely more than the building. It's more than all of those things. And what we have to understand is, is what makes it more. And I think if I sat down with somebody and I was able to talk to them and say, I don't really like church. I love Jesus, but I hate the church. We talked about that last week and how just dumb that really sounds, but people say it anyway. And just they say, well, you know, the church, even though it's Christ's bride, if anybody said that about my bride, I'd be upset about it. Anybody said that about your bride, gentlemen, I hope that you'd be upset about it. Same type of mentality. We have to look at it from this way. If somebody were to say that, maybe we should ask some questions of why. And there's three questions that come to mind right away for me on why. If I were to sit down and talk to somebody, why? Why do you not like the church? What is it about the church that isn't working for you? That would be the first question I'd ask them. What is it about the church that isn't working for you? And as we looked at, you know, we talked about last week, the church being a relationship. There's this bride-to-groom type of relationship. We talked even a little bit last week and just touched on it. The fact that, that we start off with this dating relationship with Jesus, where we're getting to know him, and we're getting to know the church, we're getting to know these things, and eventually that moves to a marriage relationship where we trust him as our Lord and Savior, and that's why we're called his bride. We see that take place, and there's something different between the dating relationship and the marriage relationship. There's something in how we respond, there's something in how we interact in just regular life. When you're dating, you get to go home and you get to do your own thing. You get to make financial decisions based on your, whatever you want. You get to make all these decisions in your dating relationship. But when you go to a marriage relationship, everything changes. And as it changes, it changes our heart, it changes our mind. And we see that same thing. So what is it about the church that isn't working for us? 
Is it because we are still stuck in that dating relationship? And in a dating relationship, just like any other relationship, there's that really fun stage at the beginning. And then those really fun things they used to do become really annoying. And there's something about that even within the church realm. That those fun things, those sermons that used to speak to me, or the music that used to, whatever it might be, it kind of fades. And the funny thing is, we really kind of see it taking place constantly. I mean, sometimes we blame this generation for walking away from the church. But those of you who aren't a part of this generation, how about your generation? Was there something about the church when you were a teenager, when you were in your mid-20s or something like that, that you saw a shift take place? I mean, look at the way the church was back in the 50s. And the way it was a certain type of building, and the way everybody did certain things, and the way wore certain things, and everything was blank, 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 and it was all very structured and formatted. And then by the time the 80s came around, you had these large mega churches starting to form, and everything was getting really loud and concert-like and all these things. And now that's kind of shifted, and now we start to see this new generation, and this new generation that, that's going right now has this authenticity and desire behind it to say, well, we need to slow things down and we almost need to go back to what the 50s were and we want to be more reformed in our thinking. And, and there's always this shift that's taking place and we lose the romantic part of, of what we thought about the church because all of a sudden we're changing. And then that, what happens in a relationship? And then we start to check out. Sometimes we check out completely. Sometimes we check out just mentally. Sometimes we check out spiritually. And let me ask you, in any good relationship, if you're checked out, how's that going to go for you? It's not. It's not. So maybe that's what's wrong with the church. Or maybe we should ask a second question, and that is this. What is it about you that isn't working for the church? You know, we ask, what is it about the church that isn't working for you? But really, in the, in the grand scheme of things, we've said it many times before, the church isn't about you. This isn't about you. It's about God. And so what is it about you that isn't working for the church? See, for just a second, entertain the possibility that there isn't a problem with the church, and then it's because of the staleness of your heart that we're having problems. What if that's it? What if there's some inner reflection that needs to take place as we look at that, that at one point in time that you were entranced by the Sunday show and that you, you thought you were involved in this community group, and you, but you never really opened up and you never really showed any sort of connection and, and that you sat on the outside and all of a sudden you became bored with it? Well, of course you're going to become bored with it because you never got into it. You never got connected to it. It's, it's like, just like I said, just about any other relationship that we have. If you're just kind of in it for the beginning, and then when it gets to the, the hard part where you have to actually work, and you have to actually participate, and you actually have to laugh, and you actually have to fight, and you actually have to, to, to remember, and you have to apologize, remember why you fell in love in the first place, when it gets to that point, if we're not doing that, of course we're going to want to step away, and that, that starts with us, and that's why we become disenchanted with the church, and we can become bitter, we become angry, we can push things away. We stop focusing on the things that we should be focusing on. Instead, we're focusing on the negative things, just like in a regular relationship. So what is it about the church that isn't working for you? What about you and working for the church? And the third question is, what do you think the point of church is? Why do you think the church exists? What is it? See, that, that question, I bet, if you asked 100 people, 
on any given Sunday morning, any given Saturday night, you're going to get 100 different answers. As a matter of fact, you probably get 500 different answers because everybody's got multiple opinions on it. And you're going to hear each one of those and all of that. As a matter of fact, they, they did a, that question to 1,000 different congregations around the U.S. What do you think the point of church is? 89% of attendees in churches in these 1,000 different congregations said the purpose of church was to meet mine and my family's needs. 89% which left 11% saying the purpose of the church, the reason why it exists, the reason why there's a point to it is, is to change the world for Jesus Christ. They asked the same question to the pastors of those churches. Did you know that those answers are flip-flopped? That pastors believe that, 90% of pastors believe that we are here to change the world for Jesus Christ. And the 10% that were left said, we're here to meet the needs of the families that are here. You wonder why there's dysfunction within the church if the leadership's saying one thing and the attendees are saying a different one? You look at that and you say, what, what's going on with the church? Why are churches closing the doors? Why are there problems with that? It really comes down to the question, what is the point of the church? Is it to meet the needs of the families who are there? Is it to focus on the flock? Or is it to go out and share the gospel with the world that is in need? And the answer is, Yes. It, the answer is yes. It, it's bigger than that. And, and there's, there's so much to it. And I looked at these, these, these different things in this question. And I said, you know, let's, let's go to the source. Let, let's figure out what it's actually supposed to be. And you know what the source is? The Bible. And you know what the Bible tells us? It gives us three answers for the point of the church. For the reason for the church being here. And it's glorification, edification, evangelization, if that's a word. Those are the three things we're supposed to do. The first one is glorification. We're supposed to glorify God. That is the first point of the church. God has called us to live for the praise of His glory. That's what Ephesians 1.12 tells us. To live for the praise of His glory. It tells us all throughout Scripture. 1 Peter 2.9. I think it sums up the church the best. Because all throughout Scripture, it tells us about praising Him. It tells us about in Isaiah. It tells us about the Psalms. It tells us, I mean, even when Jesus is talking, He's talking about praising our life is what it's about. Paul continues to remind the churches that's what it's about. The whole book of 1 Corinthians is trying to take their point of view off of themselves. And, you know, a lot, it's funny thing as I was reading this week, we've been going through 1 Corinthians in our men's Bible study, but I was reading 1 Corinthians 13 as I read that. I don't know how many times I've done that at a wedding. But do you realize that that, that passage is not an encouraging passage. It's actually a rebuke of the church at 1 Corinthians because that, they weren't doing that. And he's saying, this is what you have to do. You guys are missing it. And so he's trying to turn the focus about glorifying who God is and lifting up. But 1 Peter 2.9 says this, but you, church, are a chosen race. You, church, are a royal priesthood. You, church, are a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Why do we proclaim who Jesus is? Why do we glorify who God is? Why do we lift them up? Because he pulled us out of darkness into the marvelous light. There's nothing better in all of life than that very thing, that we have been saved and we glorify God because we couldn't do it on our own even if we went to church every Sunday from the day that we were born. The second thing that the church is here for is this, is for the edification 
of the saints. Now, the word edify is kind of a big word there. For some of the kids in here, it means to teach someone in a way that improves the mind or character. We're trying to improve people. So the church first exists to glorify God. The second reason why is to edify the saints. The people who are in the church, we are here to help build them up. As a matter of fact, Colossians chapter 1 says in verse 24, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body. That is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God, that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden from the ages and generations, but is now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mercy. Once again, we're glorifying him, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. We see all of these things. Paul says, this is the reason why I exist. This is why God has me here, is to bring you to understand the glory that is Christ and bring you up in maturity, not just to leave you as a little baby in that. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Paul said that his goal was to present every person to be mature in Christ. That is huge. And that's what we're to be doing. That's what the church is for. As a matter of fact, if you look at Ephesians chapter 4, when Paul writes to the church at Ephesus, once again trying to encourage a church, Ephesians chapter 4, he says this in verse 11, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints. Who are the saints? Us, all of us, to equip the saints for the work of of ministry. We are here. The purpose of the church is to do the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ until we all attain that unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human coming, uh, cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes, rather speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in every way into him who is the head, who is Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint, with which is equipped, when each part is working properly, when those people who are working the ministry properly, the ones who have been gifted, that is us, all of us, we are making the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. We are here not only to glorify God, but to edify the saints, to build up the body and to work in perfect harmony in that way. The third thing is, is the evangelization of the world, to evangelize, to share Jesus Christ. And I believe when we are glorifying God and when we are edifying the saints, the natural next step will be to evangelize because we understand that the church is such a great institution that God himself has created, that his son has built, and his son has blessed, and we are going to move forward, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Death will not prevail against it. We're moving in this way, and we see God taking this and using it in a way that if everybody is doing their part, it's going to work fluidly, it's going to work flawlessly, and it's going to move, and it's going to change this world, and it's going to change the world by actually sharing that great news that we're saved. As a matter of fact, if you look at Mark chapter 16, verse 15, it says, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. 
That's a command to us. If you look at verse 19 of Matthew chapter 28, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Why the church, though? Why does he need to send out individuals who are listening to their iPods to do this? Why don't we just say, well, I've got that. I, I mean, I can do that. I know people that do do that, that are outside of the church, that are out evangelizing. I believe they're, they're ha- struggling maybe with the edification of the saints because they're not really hanging out with any saints, but, but, but they're glorifying God. So, so there's some stuff going on. Why the church? Why all of us together? Why are we supposed to do that? And I believe Hebrews chapter 10 tells us the answer to that. Therefore, in verse 19, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, since you understand that you are saved by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from the evil consciences and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir one another, the church. Let us stir one another to love and to good works, not neglecting to meet together as in the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day draw near. See, as a church, there's three reasons why we, we exist. It's to glorify God. It is to, to edify the saints. It is to evangelize the world. And sometimes we get those out of whack and we become so focused on one that we forget about the other two or, or two instead of just the, the third one as well. And we see that and we need to be encouraged and we see it when it comes together with the corporate body that all three of these things, when those are working together, we see an amazing thing happen. That's growth. We see people excuse me, people coming to know the Lord. We see people growing up in the Lord and maturing and then going and doing the same thing and this process takes place and in all, in it all, we realize it's not us, but it is God and we're glorifying Him in it. When we look at the reason the church exists, I think we need to understand our relationship with it. Understand that part about the church and it's two things. Two things that I want you to hold on to as we walk out of here and that's this. Number one is, is that you need the church. Number two is a church needs you. That's the plain, simple fact of the matter. You need the church, and the church needs you. And I'd like to explain that for just a second as we get ready to wrap up here. But as we look to ourselves, see, going back to that Hebrews verse in chapter 25 and verse 10, it says, I'm sorry, the other way around, chapter 10, verse 25, says, not neglecting to meet together as in the habit of some, but encouraging one another. See, in the early history of the church, God's children needed encouragement. Sometimes I think we, we romanticize what that Acts church looked like. There, there's a, a church planting group that is called Acts 29. The reason why it's called Acts 29 is because there's only 28 chapters in the book of Acts, and Acts 29 is taking that to the next level. And it's the start of the church. We have this romantic idea of what the start of the church looked like. But guess what? It wasn't pretty. It, it wasn't a beautiful picture Uh, other than the fact that the people knew they couldn't do it on their own. Do you realize how much they had to rely on one another and how much they had to rely on the Holy Spirit? I mean, I I read an A.W. Tozer quote that said, you know, if you took out the Holy Spirit from the early church, 90% of the things that happened never would have. If you take out the Holy Spirit from today's church, 10% of the things that happened never would have. 
Because we've had this shift take place where we rely on ourselves and we, 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 we forget to be encouraging to one another and, and praying together and doing all the things. And look what they did in the early church in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all, as all as any had need. And day by day, the attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. See, they needed that encouragement. They encouraged one another. They prayed together. They broke bread together. They went to the temple together. They did these things together. It wasn't alone. And the reason why is because life then wasn't easy. They were going through persecution. They were going through hardships. There were people speaking poorly about them. They're saying, why would you believe in this Jesus guy anyway? He died and he's dead. He never rose again. They're hearing all of these things and they can't fight it on their own. So they're coming together and they're being encouraged by one another. Well, guess what we hear today? Those exact same things. We hear the same things. Why would you believe in some Jesus guy that died 2,000 years ago? Why would you? Why would you? Why would you? We need that encouragement. We need to be praying together. We need to be going together because guess what? By ourselves, we're not wise enough to handle that. By ourselves, we're not mature enough to handle that. By ourselves, we are not godly enough to handle that. That's why we come together for encouragement. That's why we come together to pray. That's the reason why you need the church because without the support of your brothers and sisters in here, you would not make it. And the thing is, we see that time and time and time again. That's why when 18, 19-year-olds go off to college and they don't have a church home that they get themselves into, and we see them fall away from their faith because somebody in some classroom, some professor, somewhere along the way, challenges their belief in who this God could possibly be and why would a God do this and how is it even possible that he would create that and we're going to believe all our stuff into evolution or whatever it might be and it's all going to get piled into this big pile. And as it does, they start to shrink back because they never had the encouragement to, to surround them. They haven't got themselves involved in whatever it needs to be to help them carry through that. We need the church. The second part is the church needs you. The church needs you. Sometimes we don't think the church needs us, that the church can magically just operate on its own. If you uh, are on our email list, you saw I sent out an email, I believe it was on Tuesday, Tuesday or Wednesday, and the email basically said, Santa's magic elves have gone to the North Pole, so we're going to actually need you to help us out this weekend. And I know that was a sarcastic sort of way of thing, but sometimes we forget that it actually takes people here at the church to get things done. That sometimes we just think, well, somebody else will do it. No, we need you. We need you in all areas. We need you to step up and do that. And I wrote some things down of what we actually need. The first thing that we need from you is your story. We need your story. And I say that because the, we have a story that is our all-together story. It's our church story. It's the face that we put on. It's amazing that the rest of the world calls us hypocrites when we act like we have it all together. Because the word hypocrite actually comes from the word actor, which is exactly what we're doing when we act like we have it all together. So maybe they're right. What if we came with our story that actually shows what God is doing in us? what God has brought us from, what God is bringing us through, and where God is taking us to. What if we came with that story? And what if we share with other people that story? What if we let them know that we don't have it all together, but God is still changing us, and we can see a world that is out there that is hurting, and there's people that are doing things that are 
just completely and totally, as we might say, carnal or ungodly. But guess what? God died, or he sent his son to die for them too. And what if they heard our story and saw our story? So that's the first thing I think our church needs. The second thing I think it needs is your ownership. You guys may or may not know this, but we don't have membership classes. We call them ownership classes because I don't believe in the idea of what members have become. Back in the day when membership was it, you read passages saying we're all part members of one body. That's where that came from, and it makes perfect sense. But today, members are people who pay their dues, and they get stuff because of it. They're members at a country club. They're members at a gym. They don't have to do anything. They just have to pay and tell somebody else to do the stuff. We take ownership. And I'm not going to say this in a way that is somehow, some way uplifting to, to me, but I want you, when you walk in, if you're a part of this church and you are going to be a part of this church, to see it like I see it. Because I can tell you where the gouges are on the walls here. I can tell you the seats that are broken. I can tell you the way the stains are. I can tell you that when we did our movie series and we had all those stickers up there, all the paint that got taken off. And I could tell you all of those things and every single one of those things I want to go and fix, but I don't have time to do that. Because I see those things and I say, man, I would like to see that because I would like to have a presentation with the word paragon meaning a model of excellence and perfection. I would like to actually try and have a model of excellence and perfection. And so when somebody walked in, they weren't like, why is all the paint off the walls up there? And one day I came in and all that was painted. And one day I came in and somebody had already taken the, uh, the, the carpet shampoo and was sucking all the yuck out of the seats. And I don't know what they were taking out of it, but I'm glad they did. And there's so much to it. And to take that ownership, we need your story. We need your ownership. That's why I say church attendance is important, but church participation is so much more. And taking ownership in this building and the things like that. Third thing we need is your prayers. And maybe that should have been first. Because as I look at it now, this last Thursday, we call it third Thursday of the month. Every third Thursday, I send out a prayer list and I ask you to pray for it. I would hope that if you're on our mailing list and you got that, that you didn't just delete it you prayed for it. Because this month we said pray specifically for our church and for the pastors of our church. And when I say our church, I mean the body, the, the church around the world. Just this week, uh, a major pastor in, in Nashville, Tennessee, he announced that he was stepping down because he was tired and he was broken. And he just couldn't do it anymore. And just a few weeks ago, there was another pastor that stepped down and said, I just can't do it anymore of a megachurch. And there were a few weeks before that, there was one that, that had to step down because of infidelity. And there was one before that that had to step down because of alcoholism. And then before that, and you see these pastors, they're having to step down. And every time they have to step down, it's because they're, they're being attacked. There's a real spiritual battle out there that is taking place. And when we see Acts 2.42, they came together to pray. And pray for the Holy Spirit to do His thing, but I'm sure they are praying for each other to have strength and not to trip up and not to fall because a lot of times those tripping up and falling just gives ammunition to the enemy to say, see, I told you so. Even the leaders can't. Have you prayed for Jerome? Have you prayed for me? Have you prayed for my family? Have you prayed for his family? Have you prayed over this church? Have you prayed over what we are doing? Because as we move forward, guess what? When you're going against the flow, you're going to get opposition. Have you prayed for that for us? And if you haven't, will you please? Because we desperately need your prayers. Fourth thing, your generosity. Your generosity. Yep, I'm going to talk about money. Your generosity. Did you see what they did in the early church? That they sold all their stuff 
to take care of those who are in need. I can't say that it looks like that today. I mean, I saw a lot of stuff out in our parking lot, but it wasn't great stuff. It was good enough stuff, and somebody else took it, so that was perfect. I was grateful for that. But I want to give you a little example. You're probably wondering why I've had a roll of toilet paper up here the whole time. But this is long-lasting value toilet paper, and it is one-ply septic safe. I don't know if you know what that means, but it means it's terrible ter toilet paper. <laughs> and this terrible toilet paper was given to me by my neighbor. My neighbor uh, grew up in a Presbyterian church. As a matter of fact, his dad was a Presbyterian minister. I did the worship and all that kind of stuff like that. So he understands the church. And he came over and he said, Matt, so this toilet paper, and I won't use the words that he used, but he said it's basically garbage. He said, would you like to take it to your church? And I paused for a second and I went, so the garbage that you have is what goes to the church. And this toilet paper is terrible. I mean, we joke as John Wayne toilet paper. It's rough, it's tough, and it doesn't take anything from anybody. Okay. It's just the, the reality of it all. This is not good. But the immediate thing is, is well, I can't use that. It's not good enough for me, so I'm going to give it to God. And you go, wait a second. Wait, I thought was the first purpose in it all was to glorify him and to lift him up and say, thank you for saving us from what you did. And I'm going to give you Lord of all. I'm going to make him Lord of all. Cornerstone, you're going to be the, the, what I build my life on. You're going to be my foundation. You're going to... And we say, here, here's my junk toilet paper. That, that's what I got to give you. Do you realize that in, in American church giving, that the average family gives 2.5%? People will argue about the tithe, whether it's an Old Testament or New Testament thing. But 2.5%. We give God our leftovers. We give Him the, the junk. We keep the nice double-ply Charmin for ourselves, which is much nicer, trust me. Why? We need your generosity. We need to be similar to the church at the beginning to say, you know, I'm willing to give. And that's just, just our money. It's our time. It's our energy. It's our efforts. Fifth thing I have down is our humility or our service. Like I said, I joked this week about the magic elf being out there. And they had to leave, so we need your help in volunteering. But, you know, our nursery, nursery is, is an awesome ministry to work with little kids. Our three, four, and five-year-old room, awesome ministry to work with little kids. And we have some great people in there, but they could definitely use help. We have a team that comes and cleans and cleans up this building and, and they, they do it every Saturday, and they can definitely use your help. We have people who do all different sorts of things, and they could use your help from making the coffee to, to doing the cookies. I mean, we have people that do some amazing things, but just because they're doing it doesn't mean that, okay, I, I don't have to do anything. God has made each one of us a gift and given each one of us a gift. And sometimes we have to be humble and say, yep, my gift is working with kids who poop themselves. That's not the most glorious, glamorous job. That's why I'm up here and not in there. But the reality is, if God has called you to that, why are we stepping back away from it? We need your service. Sixth thing, we need your time to be consistent. Many times, church is an afterthought. I would suggest making it a priority. And that goes with the generosity, and that goes with the service, and that goes with the ownership, and that goes with the prayer, and that goes with the humility. To make it a priority. The seventh thing is to make it your community. We need your community. 
Churches are involuntary communities. We don't get to pick who comes to them. We just get to hang out with who does. And there's such a wide mix. Just look around in here. Just a different group of people, different styles of music that are like different ways that we dress, different jobs that we have, different things, but we're made for community. We're made to connect with each other. We're made to, to understand that it's okay to commit that people aren't like you. See, the church isn't just some, some club that we come together and we say, okay, I'm going to just hang out with this group. But that's what it tends to look like. We need your community. I would encourage you strongly to get involved with one of our connection groups, to get involved so you can meet new people, so you can be encouraged, so you can have somebody hold you accountable. And if you want to talk to anybody about connection groups, Dave McGill is sitting right over here. He's the guy that's in charge of those. I would love for you to talk to him about that and get plugged in to what we can do. Because you know what? Some of our best and closest relationships can be with people who aren't like you. It's okay. And we can learn from each other in that way. See, you need the church, and the church needs you. My goal through this series is to show you that going to church can be about something more than just a moral requirement. That going to church can be more than just uh, about being afraid of being punished by God, that if you don't go, that he's going to make your team lose tomorrow. You know, it's amazing what people come up with and the things that they say. It's more than social connection. It's more than being spiritually fed. It's more than just looking for people that you can hang out with that are just like you, that can help uh, fuel your, your political fire or whatever it might be. It's more than that. It's a place where we can experience God's grace together. It's a place where we can learn together, where we can fail together, where we can forgive together, where we can stumble together, where we can encourage together. It's about the one another's. It's about glorifying Him, about edifying each other, and about evangelizing the world. That's what it's about, and we need to do it together. That's my challenge to you today. I don't know how God is speaking to you, because maybe you're sitting in here and you're like, hmm, that hurt. That's not the message that I wanted to hear today. I didn't want to hear how I'm supposed to be a part of the church. I wanted you to give me more fire to not want to be here. Whatever it might be, we all battle with different things inside. I want to challenge you. That as you sit here, as you even take this in, as we even sing this last song, it's not about us. It's about glorifying Him, edifying those we come together with, and going out when we leave here to evangelize a lost world that is desperately in need of the hope that we have found in Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for who you are, and thank you for what you do. Thank you that you forgive us. Thank you that you're patient with us. Thank you that you understand that we are human and we will fall and we will make mistakes and we will be rebellious and we will step away from you and when we even step close to you we still give you the junk toilet paper God I, I pray for every person in this room including myself that God we instead understand that we need you and we need your church we need your body it tells us in John 15 that those who aren't abiding in him are separated. We're part of the vine. We can do nothing. God, help us to be in you. I pray for the person that's in here right now that is far from you. Maybe somebody who doesn't know you at all. I pray that you are introducing yourself to their heart tonight. and God, that I have an opportunity to pray with them over that. God, maybe there's somebody in here that has walked away from you and taken steps back and said, oh, that church thing. I love Jesus. Glad he saved my soul, but I hate his wife. 
God, that we would break our hearts because we know how much you love your bride. We know how much you love your body, that you would give your life for it. But God, we'd be more willing to give of ourselves. Maybe there's somebody here who's struggling with where we're at, with where they're at in their relationship with you. I pray that tonight is the night they come close to you and they lay themselves out, not just a temporary romantic thing that sounds good, but instead they move themselves to that marriage relationship, knowing it's going to take work, knowing that it's going to take time, knowing that it's going to take effort to make this relationship flourish. I pray it in your name.